In this episode of Women Taking the Lead, I'm speaking with Mickey Feldman Simon of I Am Back at Work about how to make jobs and working more accessible to women. I work with leaders and managers within organizations, men and women, and with women on remaining and returning to the workforce, where the organizations are worried about losing their women employees, which is great. Um, there's a high cost to them They're losing talented um, talented women, and they want to create an environment that is more supportive to mothers and working parents. And I especially also say here working parents because if we also provide the men with more flexibility, they can be encouraged to do more around the house, around childcare. Hello, my name is Jody Flynn and welcome to Women Taking the Lead, where we are all about creating blasts of inspiration to help you overcome self-doubt so you can lead with confidence, integrity, and a sense of humor. Head over to womentakingthelead.com to join the community and get the resources to support you on your leadership journey. Now, your future awaits, so let's get started. Hello, everyone, and welcome to Women Taking the Lead. I am Jody Flynn, and I am here with Mickey Feldman-Simon, who is a career and executive coach and the founder of I Am Back at Work, a company dedicated to helping women remain and return to the workforce. Mickey is a seasoned professional who has led leading executive roles in human resource management, marketing, and business development. She has built and led resilient teams and high-growth software companies with successful exits. Mickey is a certified executive coach. She has a Master of Science in Organizational Behavior and a BA in Psychology and Educational Counseling. Mickey is passionate about accelerating people's personal and professional growth, enabling them to step into their full potential. Mickey, that is just a little piece to let everyone know know a little bit about you, but tell us more about you and what you're up to in the world. Well, first of all, thank you, Jody, so much for inviting me here to be a, a guest on your podcast. I'm really excited to be here today. A little bit more about me. Well, I'll tell you straight off um, so that people don't spend time just trying to work out my accent is that I'm Israeli, Australian, and American, and I've lived in the Boston area for the last 20 years. Um, and I spent a good chunk of my career in the human resources management. And as you um, said, I've led uh, multiple startups, mostly high-tech, to successful exits. And I'm very proud to say that in my last role as um, head of HR at a company called Profitect, it's a software company. And apart from leading us to a successful exit, we also reached gender parity across the board. So that's at all levels of the company. Uh, what else about myself? So um, I also took multiple career breaks throughout my career, whether it was to take care of my elderly parents, to move continents and to take care of my kids when they were young. I successfully returned to the workforce after each one of those breaks. My kids today, my daughter, she's the youngest, she's 21. She's a student at McGill in Montreal. And I have a 26-year-old son who is an avalanche forecaster in California. 
One thing that definitely stood out to me and what you just shared is successfully leaving and re-entering the workforce. And I often find with people who are in coaching, they're coaching around areas that they've they figured it out. They may have had some challenges in those areas, but they've learned how to be successful. And it's no surprise that this is an area that you are helping women with. And I think going along with that theme, um, because one of the things that when you and I first connected that we were talking about was the state of affairs um, for women in the workforce. And there has been a lot of disheartening news. We're going to talk about that. I know we're going to, you know, there are positives to talk about, and we're going to get to that later. But just for the audience, for anyone who hasn't been reading the data and the statistics and the stories, what is the current state of affairs with women in the workforce? So um, there's a lot of statistics and information out there, but um, in December 2019, for the first time, women comprise just over 50% of the workforce, and we were really celebrating that achievement, and then COVID-19 struck. And since then, we've seen more and more women leave the workforce. Um, Women were also employed by many of the hardest hit sectors, whether it's education, hospitality, healthcare services. And prior to 2020, recessions have either depressed men's employment more than women's or had roughly equal impact. But the Institute of Women's Policy Research um, analyzed the Labor Department's data And they reported that more than 11 million women have lost their jobs and another 2.65 million have left the workforce since February 2020 due to caretaking demands and sometimes inability to find work. And the results are so devastating for women that Nicole Mason, she's the president and chief executive of the Institute for Women's Policy Research, she's coined the term she-session. And to describe this recession and the disproportionate impact that COVID-19 has had on women. And unfortunately there, it's also Black and Latino women have had been more adversely affected by the job losses. So what we're seeing, and as you said, it's really disheartening, is that the progress that we've made in women's employment is being rolled back to decades back. And even during the partial recovery period in recent months, the female unemployment rate is still significantly higher than the male unemployment rate. So it is going to take a lot to undo the damage that has brought us back to people are saying around the 1980s level of women's participation in the workforce. And that's the state we're in today. Wow. So we're looking at, we're, we're set back like 30 to 40 years in terms of progress. Yes. Okay. Yeah. Oh God. Right. Every time I hear these statistics, it breaks my heart a little bit, but thank you for that, Mickey, because that like kind of created the landscape, the context in which we're going to continue to have this conversation. So everyone listening has an awareness uh, of what's going on and I'm curious what you're seeing in your business because you work with women, you know, in helping them either stay in the workforce or, you know, re-enter the workforce. You were doing that even before 
all of this happened, but I, I can't even imagine like the kinds of conversations that you're having with your clients right now. And I'm curious because you, you did reference like a lot of women, part of the reason why they're stepping away is to be caretakers, whether it's caretaking the household, their children, like doing the, this, um, homeschooling um, or remote learning that a lot of children are doing. But then women have also um, largely taken on, um, I don't want to call it the burden. It can be a burden, but the responsibility of taking care of sick relatives and aging parents. What kind of conversations are you having with your clients around deciding how to handle all of, all of these responsibilities? So it's definitely not easy conversations. And, you know, we've had to, families have had to decide uh, who will take home, take, sorry, who will stay home taking care of the kids forever, right? Or whether it was sick, aging parents. And it's often been the mothers. But in the past, you could decide whether to send your kids to daycare or to school. And there, there were financial considerations of how, how much daycare costs, uh, versus your income, how much time you wanted to spend with your kids versus work. But during the pandemic, that choice in many places just disappeared. So it's just we entered a completely different arena with daycares and schools closed down or going remote. So working parents were finding themselves in a situation that they've never been um, in before. And full-time childcare from the became full-time childcare providers, preschool, elementary, middle school teachers, while they're still working. And again, a situation that they've never been in before and having to make very difficult decisions. And also, we have to remember that those who counted on their parents for help had to assess the risk involved in that and bringing any outside help into the house meant increasing the risk of somebody getting sick. And for some, it meant actually taking on more responsibilities in caring for their parents to try and minimise the risk um, of people getting sick. So for people who had the um, the option to work remotely, um, at least the conversation was around these options, um, but they had to man- manage all these multiple roles And there is ample evidence that shows that mothers spend more time on childcare than fathers in two-parent household. And some research was um, during the pandemic was showing that it's um, around 15 hours per week on average that women spend more time on education and household tasks than fathers. So really the working mothers were taking a lot of the household and it is in these situations a burden, the burden of the pandemic. I know it doesn't sound great, but when you really don't have a, an, a choice sometimes around it, it does become a burden. And a little bit here for perspective, uh, 32% of the U.S. workforce has a child under age 14 at home. 9.4% have a child under six. So that is really a significant part of the of the workforce that is dealing with this madness. And I also want to mention another interesting study that Northeastern University did, and they were looking about and um, they were looking at the considerations that couples um, looked at during the pandemic and how to manage this situation. And they found that couples looked at 
who had more flexibility. Of course, there were financial considerations um, in play, who who earned more. And unfortunately, there, the pay gap worked against women, with women working in some jobs, the same jobs as their partners, but likely making less money. And many also decided that the mothers were more competent to take care of the kids. I have to say something that in 2021, we were hoping to that would be more equal. So my conversations with women have been on making very hard decisions on whether to step out, step down to part-time, not stepping up, holding their career back. And for some, it has been on how to earn enough money to put food on the table. And they've had to reassess their values and really decide what it is that's really important to them. And in many situations, the women's decisions have been how to stay sane for them and their family during this time. Absolutely. I mean, when I think about some of my friends and my family uh, who are women, and I see this happening to them, and they have great partners as well. But like you said, let's face it, the women are taking on the majority of the burden um, to take care of the kids, to take care of the aging parents and sick relatives and, and that sort of thing. Um, and I have seen um, some of them scale back um, their hours, you know, so taking pay cuts. I've seen some of them, you know, also uh, deciding to hold themselves in their career. They're not ambitiously going after um, promotions or job changes or, or anything like that. They're they're in a holding pattern. And, you know, other research that is out there points to what a positive impact women in the workforce have, that when companies have gender parity, they tend to see better results. And so I can only imagine that with, what did you say, 2.4 million women in the past 12 months have have removed themselves from the workforce. Yeah, 2.65 million. 2.65 million, like that is going to have an impact. And I can guess all day what that would be, but I'm curious what your perspective is on this situation in terms of like the cost to not just companies, but society, the economy, workforce, and the advancement of women. So this is such an important question um, that you asked. I'm so glad you asked it, Josie, because the cost is just so vast And we're seeing the increase of mental health issues in our society. There's the isolation that the pandemic has brought and um, the increased um, increased stress for everybody. And financially, also millions more people push below the poverty line. And that's, you know, putting women aside. That's the cost that we're currently seeing on our society. But women specifically stepping out of the workforce impacts us on all levels. So from families just have less money to spend and women's lifetime income decreases with every year that they're outside the workforce. And the more women stepping out, organizations are losing valuable resources. And down the line, we have uh, less women to fill leadership positions. And as you said, there's a lot of research there about companies with female in the top management delivering And the statistic that I usually hear is about 34% greater return to shareholders. So there's ample research on how companies with women women leadership 
are more successful and more productive. And we're going to have a space, an empty space there. So we really lose on all fronts when the advancement of women slows down. And it definitely is not on these women (laughs) to figure out all of these problems. But I am curious, how are you working with women currently to help them make these tough decisions? So I think you said something very important before where it's not just on the women. And I really believe in that the work is not just with the women. We need to make sure we have better infrastructure of affordable daycare, open schools, better parental leave. But I personally, I work with leaders and managers within organisations, men and women, and with women on remaining and returning to the workforce where the organizations are worried about losing their women employees, which is great. Um, there's a high cost to them They're losing talented, um, talented women, and they want to create an environment that is more supportive to mothers and working parents. And I especially also say here working parents because if we also provide the men with more flexibility, they can be encouraged to do more around the house, around childcare. And we're definitely seeing through the crisis that the more successful leaders are leading with high emotional intelligence, um, being more authentic and pathetic while staying calm and confident. And they're building a whole organization that is learning to embrace a more human approach to leadership in general, elevating care, like the whole relationship building and the collective well-being as an integral element of their organizational values and culture. And it becomes putting uh, all human beings and not just customers or clients at the center of the organizational thinking and harnessing the change for really for a new, better future. So um, when I work with the managers, they're working on creating flexible work environments and providing mental health days, childcare services, more parental leave, scheduling lunch breaks across the board, having Zoom-free days. Those are things we didn't think about before this pandemic. And some companies are trying to start meetings five past five minutes past the hours or ending them five minutes before the hour to give people a little bit of a breather between the Zoom calls, let them have time to grab coffee, run to the bathroom or check in on their kids. And in my conversations with leaders and managers, they're seeking help in how to navigate through this. Some of them that I've worked with were hesitant to have an in-depth conversation and really ask their employees, in this situation, a lot of them, the women, how are they doing? Because as managers, they're often used to being the ones who have the answers. And nowadays, a lot of them are facing these exact same situations. But I try to remind them that in reality, the employees don't expect managers to have all the answers, but they do appreciate empathy or rather um, I like to call it compassion. I like the distinction that um, Rasmus Hugard, he's the the author of the book, The Mind of the Leader, and he um, distinguishes between empathy where it is you feel what the other person feels to compassion, where compassion is empathy plus action. 
So with compassion, there's that element of how can I help you or how can I be of benefit to you rather than just commiserating with you. And so for a manager, beyond showing that they care and understand what the employee is going through, they would likely be able to help with something, whether it's prioritizing or pushing the meeting deadlines, creating more flexible schedules and so on. Mickey, I love that you're highlighting this distinction of empathy versus compassion with compassion being empathy plus action. That action piece is so important. And I just read an article that highlighted a report from Managed Research Group that verified that compassion is akin to good leadership. And it's a strong predictor of executive effectiveness. And that's powerful. I don't think we're giving, and when I say we, I mean, you know, organizations as a whole, enough attention to this quality in a leader and developing compassion in leaders. And I really love that you're working on the organizational level for employers to be empowered to retain their female employees. Now I want to hear about how you work with your female clients to support them to get through this challenging time. In my work with the women on how to deal with all of this, um, whether it is with women executives, women in career transitions, the ones who've stepped out or are trying to work out what it is that's next for them. I work with them on connecting with their values. So whatever decision that they make at the different points of their career, it comes from a place of strength, of them deciding what is it that's important to them and often them and their family at that point of time. So if whether they're stepping out or they're not stepping up, as we said, they in the situation where they would have otherwise made a career move up and at this point they just don't feel that they can or rather they for their family, they just can't handle the added, the added pressure of a new uh, role right now. Whatever decision they make, we work on embracing it and not continuing to give themselves a hard time for it. I've had heartbreaking conversations with strong, successful, ambitious women who are telling themselves things like, you're chickening out, you're not doing enough, and it's just not helpful. So we often work on reframing the situation in a more positive way. And this can be, again, with reflection on their values, of course, their priorities. I'm choosing to spend more time with my family. I'm lucky to have more time with my kids. And for some, it can be, I have a job. And the idea is to change the negative self-talk and embrace the decision with a can-do attitude. So then the questions becomes, what can they do during this time, to, whether it's to stay current or move their career forward? And it can be setting goals around whatever works for them. So it can be spending 10 minutes a day or 10 minutes uh, a week on LinkedIn, networking with someone once a week, once a one, once a month, sorry. Um, can they learn a new skill? So we're working with what can work for them. And it's often moving from that I can't do, which is easier for us to focus on, to what they can do. So I do advise women to try and remain in the workforce in some capacity if possible because getting out completely, the longer you're out, the harder it is to return. And sadly, that is just a fact. So 
returning to the work, it can be done. You can return to the workforce. I've done it multiple times. There are many other successful women who have done it. You can look at celebrities like Adele, Speaker of the House Nancy Pelosi, um, Julia Child learned to cook at the age of 40. And, you know, Supreme Court Justice Sandra Day O'Connor took a break to have kids. So there are many examples um, of that. And if you Google it, uh, plenty will show up. And I know you have some great tips to share, Mickey, for the women who did just step out. So for those of you who did need to take a step away from work during this time, listen up because Mickey's got some great ideas here for you. So the first thing I'd say is write down your achievements now because you're not going to remember them later when you want to redo your resume or when you need to talk about them in, in interviews. And connect with your network, connect with them on LinkedIn, uh, connect with people at all different levels, people who are junior to you now. They might be the managers that when you're looking to return to the, um, to work or they may be you're into getting a referral into a company further down the line. Make an effort to stay connected. If you can um, also write recommendations for them on LinkedIn, ask them to write some for you. And remember that most jobs are filled through connections. Every job that I got throughout my career was through my network. And I want to point out some other resources that are available to women. Um, You're not alone in these. You heard 2.65 million have left just now. Uh, You can join, create support groups. And um, again, I would emphasize here on being, um, try to be compassionate, don't just empathize and commiserate. And there's a lot of free resources on the web, including my website, unbackatwork.com, that I provide a lot of uh, free information, blogs, webinars on every topic from networking, resume writing, and how to talk about your career gap. There's lots of other resources there. Also, um, returnships have picked up in the last few years. So many corporations have partnered with companies like iRelaunch, Path Forward, Reach Higher, um, and these returnships are like internships, but they're specifically for professional women returning to the workforce, and they provide a structured program to ease their re-entrance. There are also companies like the Mum Project, connecting women with the employers focused on life work balance. And there's a company called Pepper Lane that helps women start their own businesses. And it's really exciting to see all these women-specific resources to help women return and remain to the workforce. Mickey, thank you so much for that, because I know there were a lot of women who had to make the tough decision to step away from their careers right now to just focus on their families and, you know, because they're overwhelmed with everything and all the people that they need to take care of. And so they had to make that decision for themselves. But I don't know that many of them were thinking about, okay, what's my strategy for when I can come back? So that is very helpful. And for those who are still trying to juggle it all, who are still at work, I can only imagine um, the overwhelm that they're feeling and struggling. And that is going to impact their physical, mental, emotional, spiritual well-being. 
a lot of my work with women and men this year has also been around managing change and uncertainty, um, setting clear priorities and setting boundaries. Uh, work-life boundaries have been completely wiped out for people working at home. And so how do you decide, like, when do you stop work? When do you have lunch? Um, and I hear many women saying things like, when can I have a shower? And um, though the issues may look similar, the work is really meeting the clients where they are in their personal, professional growth, um, the work environment they're facing, family situation. And during this pandemic, it could also mean the, the physical space as well. And for the past year, people have had to really reassess expectations, whether from themselves, their employees or their kids uh, studying remotely. And working on reducing perfectionism has been a big thing, delegating more, deciding what they will not do. Um, and sometimes just learning to say no is something that women often tend not to do and it's been more necessary than ever. And self-care has been a big concern during the pandemic. So, um, you know, I gave the example of women just longing for a shower for a little bit of uh, time for themselves. And But many people working remotely are moving from one Zoom meeting to another with their calendars just full with back-to-back meetings. So whatever is not scheduled in advance just doesn't happen. So they mentioned getting a lunch break on the calendar, exercise time, a five-minute breather, a bathroom break, just time to check on the kids. And it can also be, what is it that energizes you? So is it for you going out for that run, yoga, having dinner with with your partner and we try and focus on what it is they can do for themselves as well, not just for work and their family. And I think it's important for all of us to keep in mind that this year has brought everyone new immense challenges to deal with. So as we, as we work to become more human and more compassionate leaders, we have to remember to also be so to ourselves I see many successful, high-achieving people who judge, treat, and talk to themselves much more harshly in a way that never talk to anybody else. So make the time to remember to also pay, also pay attention to what you have accomplished and what you can and what you have been, what you can be grateful for, and be kind to yourself. Mickey, end us on a high note. What do you think we can be optimistic about? I love this question because with all the hardship, there is what to be optimistic about. There, there is a silver lining. So I was very excited uh, just this morning, actually, you read about economists uh, predicting big gains for the economy uh, this year, even as the COVID-19 um, damage is still lingering around. So I think we can be very optimistic about the availability of the vaccines and we have to be impressed with the speed in which scientists have developed the vaccine, like months versus a process that in the past have taken years. And with the rollout of the vaccines, we're seeing also the number of COVID-19 cases decreasing nationwide and we will hopefully get back to some normalcy, at least open schools and daycare sometime this year. We also see many companies embracing remote work, so talking about continuing with remote work in the future, and that can provide flexibility for working mothers. 
seen um, DEI efforts is something that we also can be excited about. In 2020, we did see more action and awareness around DEI. That's diversity, equity, and inclusion. And whether it's large corporations implementing more DEI programs or smaller organizations becoming more aware and making more efforts in that direction. And we believe that this will help women as they return to the workforce. And we also hope that the pandemic will help normalize career breaks. We've had so many people, whether by choice or not, have had to step out of the workforce. So the more we see pauses of people resumes on people's resumes, the less these will be seen um, as red flags by recruiters. On top of that, we see that the fast changes in technology, um, the fact that people are constantly having to learn new skills for new employment opportunities, it's something that can, can benefit uh, women and people who've taken career breaks because in some ways everyone needs to learn something new now. So it is less about what you know but more about your learning abilities. So as a whole, the impact of stepping out of the workforce will be minimised. And considering all of this, I am optimistic about our recovery from this she session and I think that though it will take time, we may come out of it even stronger in the future. That's a great reminder to all of us, Mickey, that even in chaotic and tumultuous times, good does come out of it. Like there's always things that we learn and we can do newly to grow and progress as a society. And I really appreciate you giving us that reminder. Things look bad right now. You know, we're not happy about the current state of affairs, but it is moving in a positive direction if we could just hang on a little bit longer. And Mickey, what is the best way for those listening to reach out to you and connect with you? Uh, connect with me on LinkedIn. It's Mickey Feldman Simon on uh, on LinkedIn. You are welcome to send me an email, Mickey, M-I-K-I at IamBackAtWork.com. It's easy. Yep. And your hub, IamBackAtWork.com. You mentioned a whole slew of resources everyone can find there. So for those of you listening, check Mickey out. She is fantastic. And I know you're often on the run, in the car, on the move. So you know you can find all of this information and these resources at WomenTakingTheLead.com. I think the easiest way for you to find this episode is to put Mickey, M-I-K-I, in the search bar at the top. And her show notes page will come right up with more information about her and all of the links that she's shared in this episode. And Mickey, I just want to thank you for taking the time to inspire and enlighten us. We are all better for having met you. Oh, thank you, Jody. It's been a real pleasure to be your guest here today. Thank you all for joining me on Women Taking the Lead. And to strengthen you on your own leadership journey, I'd like to send you off with a quote from Marianne Williamson. So here goes. Our deepest fear is not that we are inadequate. Our deepest fear is that we are powerful beyond measure. It is our light, not our darkness, that most frightens us. We ask ourselves, who am I to be brilliant, gorgeous, talented, fabulous? Actually, who are you not to be? You are a child of God. Your playing small does not serve the world. There is nothing enlightened about shrinking so that other people won't feel insecure around you. We are all meant to shine as children do. We were born to make manifest the glory of God that is within us. It's not just in some of us, it's in everyone. 
And as we let our own light shine, we unconsciously give other people permission to do the same. As we are liberated from our own fear, our presence automatically liberates others. Again, thank you for joining me, and here's to your success.